Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, my name's Adam from Toronto, Ontario. And I subscribe to the Creative Control Patreon because I feel that uh, at the end of the day, uh, there are very few people in the industry who are able to consistently get the kind of quality interviews out of very diverse subjects of many creative stripes and disciplines, as Vish does pretty well on every episode of the podcast. It's a no-brainer to me that I want to support this when you factor that in to uh, all of the bonus content you get on Patreon and you know, it's a listener-supported podcast, so uh, I want to keep the uh, great content coming. So that's why you should also support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Please go crazy for Arthur Simeon! Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Arthur Simeon is a brilliant comedian currently based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from Uganda, Simeon is one of Canada's hardest working and distinctive stand-up comics, and he has written for numerous comedy shows in this country. In 2020, Comedy Records released his highly entertaining live album, The Blackest Panther, And Arthur and I recently connected to discuss what life has been like for him in Toronto during the COVID-19 pandemic, social media, reality and consequence culture, outspoken comedians, racism and white supremacy, dehumanization and handshakes, the Blackest Panther, future plans and much more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at MasseyHall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Shad. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 596th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented and very funny Arthur Simeon, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Arthur. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's nice to have you uh, on the show. As you may know, uh, I'm a, a longtime fan. I don't know. If, do, do you ever th- ponder like Vish? Vish over there, he uh, he loves me. I feel if anyone loves me, it's that Vish guy. <laughs> have you ever felt that? <laughs> I, I, I can't say that I have, but I should pay more attention, I guess. <laughs> well, I only allude to the fact that I've I've written about your work in the past and said nice things about your latest record, I, uh, that kind of and stuff. And I fully, fully appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I'm not fishing for compliments for me, sir. I just, just want to establish that I'm a fan. It's nice to finally get to chat. I want to uh, ask you, where in the world are you, first of all? That's how I usually I'm in, begin. I'm, right. I'm in Toronto right now. It's a sunny day. Um, I'm looking outside right now. The sun is out, but it's also obviously very cold. Why do you say obviously? Because we're Canadians. We know what it's like at this time of year. Is that because what you mean? it's Canada. Um, I should actually, you know what? I should have asked where you are before I said that Toronto was cold because of all of Canada. I'm guessing it's the warmest part of the country right now. Well, uh, you may not know this, but I used to live in Guelph, Ontario, and uh, last last January, my family and I moved to Edmonton, Alberta, which uh, some have described as one of the coldest places in the entire world. So, Yeah, in that case, it's a sunny day out here, <laughs> and it's tropical. <laughs> it's not so bad here as I'm speaking to you. We were supposed to have a big deep freeze. You know, when I moved here, uh, the first two within the first two weeks, this was just before the lockdown happened. And I didn't have to deal with any bad weather because I've been in my home since right. March. But when I we first got here, they had record-breaking cold. Like, f- just two weeks of minus 40 that no one had ever experienced. That's how I and, I, I landed. And is that is that when you regretted your decision, or did that come later? I think that came later, yeah. That's happening okay. That's happening now as our province, okay. uh, you know, is leading the way in terms of pandemic uh, calamities. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, how has your, uh, you know, we're into 2021 now, but obviously uh, 2020 was uh, unusual to say the least. How is your, <laughs> how is your pandemic uh, uh, time personally? How did it go? How's it going? I mean, I think with, with like everyone else, I, I've, it's, it's ebbed and flowed kind of thing. I mean, it's mostly been in the dumps, obviously, being a live performer as a as uh, as a chosen profession, I've been out of work for you know almost a year now. So it's been a bit difficult to adjust to because you're sort of used to being on different stages on any given night and then just having nowhere to go. So yeah, it's definitely been 
up and down with mostly downs of just sort of not being able to obviously socialize with friends, go to work. Uh, but I've been lucky enough that I still managed to get a bit of work from home projects, mm-hmm. like writing projects and stuff. So I was able to to keep busy in some respects. But obviously, it's a lot of introspection, a lot of like, what's the world coming to? I think that's been uh, my pandemic. Yeah, the introspection part is is something that I'm definitely curious about. And I will ask you ask you about that in a moment. But just uh, to talk a little bit of shop, when you say you've had writing work that you can do from home, uh, what what kinds of... Yeah, I, I know you as a live performer. I've seen you perform live. I've heard you perform live obviously uh the blackest panther your album uh from was it last year or was it the year before it feels like yeah. well, it was last year well it came out it i think was the, pretty much the last public thing that i did was the release of that album uh it came out at uh at the the beginning of of 2020 yeah so brilliant album like i know you as a stand-up i guess primarily what kinds of writing you don't have if you don't feel comfortable citing specifics that's fine but what kind of writing work have you been able to do from home? I'm just curious. Well, a lot of different things. I I, I, I did a couple of uh, episodes of The Debaters for CBC Radio. Mm. Uh, I was a creative consultant on a new CBC television sitcom called Humor Resources with John Doerr. Mm-hmm. So I happened to, yeah, to do some 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 work while being quarantined. Okay, that's good. And, and, but, I mean, you also alluded to the fact that, you know, you miss being on stage you miss social interactions. Are there any people you're happy that you avoid? Like you can avoid, you don't have to deal with them uh, because of the pandemic? <laughs> um, I don't think I I do because, I mean, I, I really enjoyed every part of, of, of my job. And it's not just the being on stage part. I really enjoy the interactions with, with people that come up to you. And even the people who say the strangest, sort of weirdest <laughs> things. Are always fun to talk to because it really is. I think one of the beautiful things about stand up is that you talk to a room full of strangers who, you know, on any given night come from so many different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so their response to your work is going to be very different, right? Like, yeah. even if they don't relate to you and they don't, you know, some people will tell you they don't like you, but even in the way they don't like you, it's very interesting. Right. Right. Because someone will be, will, will say something like, you know, I didn't like you because. You basically spoke too much truth to me, hmm. or I didn't like you because I don't understand what you're talking about, or I didn't like you because of what you were wearing. Like it's just, it's such a a, a spectrum, right, of of opinion that I enjoy it because that's what makes my job fun. Because then I can either make fun of it or learn from it and try and make you know my work more relevant. How does that real life interaction that you've had with audience members, fellow comedians, people in the world, how does that compare to, say, social media or online? You know, interactions online have a, a far different tone or they used to have a far yes. far different tone than they did in real life. People are getting more brazen online, uh, I think. Yes. And, and, and it's sort of having a... They kind of feed into each other. People feel more brazen online, then they feel more brazen in real life. They say things to your face that they used to only feel like comfortable saying in anonymity online. So I'm curious about that. What Now that we've mostly all switched to virtual life, uh, have you noticed anything shifting in human behavior and the way people interact maybe with you or others? I don't think there's been a shift. I think the human behavior has always been the same, but you're right in terms of it's been amplified by social media. I think in in, in a different world, 
uh, we wouldn't have access to a lot of people's most inner thoughts. But human beings in general are, are mostly insecure. Like it's just just a, a species of insecure hmm. beings sort of walking around. And so I think the, the big difference with moving to virtual is that everyone now is safe in knowing that they can only, there'll be no repercussions for their vitriol, I think. No repercussions. You don't think pers- there, there are no repercussions? Is that really you think that? I feel like the other side of the, the aisle, if you will, might say, "Oh, cancel culture." You know, you can't say anything, you can't do anything. But you, no, think- you can do whatever you want. I think cancel culture <laughs> is a bit of a. <laughs> it's 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 a it's it's. I I personally don't think it's a thing. Hmm. I, I I know what people mean by cancel culture in terms of like people losing their jobs uh, and stuff like that, but I think especially and i'm going to stick to comedians like the the idea that you can't say anything is not true because you've always been able to say whatever you want but you also have to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. whether those consequences are real or not right like the idea of i can't say something is ridiculous mm-hmm. because everyone has been able to say what they need to say and lots of people you know, like our neighbors, the South just had a head of state who pretty much said whatever he wanted to say and got voted into one of the most powerful offices in the world. So it's like, you can't convince me that somehow hateful speech is something that's banned by society. A lot of people don't agree with it. And therefore maybe your business will suffer, but those are the consequences of you having an opinion that not a lot of people agree with. What about the flip side of, of that example you're using? This same individual was not only voted out, uh, but now, as we're speaking, is facing that potential censure. He's actually facing some potential consequences with impeachment. There are like 75 lawsuits yeah. that await him. Like he, right. Pariah. So he did say whatever he wanted for four years, and he said it for his whole life before that. And it was just, oh, that's just a farce. We don't have to take that seriously. He's he was a pioneer in trolling, frankly. I mean, I think, uh, and yes. then, and then so he came to 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 power in the the perfect age for that kind of mindset of trolling people. But now, uh, it already feel don't you feel tonally? Again, we're Canadians. You and I, we're Canadians. But yeah. don't you feel a little tonal? Sh- I was saying to someone today, like I actually don't normally buy into politicians or politics having real efficacy or you know, can impact our daily lives. But I feel a tonal shift. I feel like as we're speaking, whatever happened, we will see what happens. But like the Biden administration seems already to be trying to kick so kick some ass and do some things. Yes, I think tonally as a government, they will. But I think we, we, we have to separate the 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 whole from the individual. Hmm. And I think part of it, like you're right, there is repercussions to the trolling that or what you call the trolling. But I think, and this is, again, this is sort of something I haven't quite found a way to sort of distill it down, but I don't think people care more now than they did then. I think they're just more aware of the consequences of such speech. You know, one of the things that I talked about in 2015 and 2016 was that I enjoyed the rise of Trump because for the longest time, a lot of the stuff that that came to light 
was being denied by by people who are too scared to face the truth. Yeah, was, yes, that's true. So I would, I would, so that, and this is why I say, like, I think all those conversations about bigotry and about misogyny that were happening, especially the the the, the bigotry ones, because I I'm lucky enough to travel, you know, to different parts of Canada, for example, and and from the rural to the urban areas, to different cities, and I have been on on the receiving end of a lot of just gross, hateful speech. Yeah. And when I would talk about it with some of my friends, everyone would always try and play devil's advocate. Yeah. Like I was unlucky to run into the one person who feels that way. I was unlucky. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it, it happened to be a Monday and Mondays in Edmonton happened to be the day when all the white supremacists come out. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and, you know, it's that gas station. Like everyone knows that gas station. Like you shouldn't have stopped. The, you should have stopped the one across the street because, the you know, like there was always an excuse that that it's just that one person and I happen to, f- you know, to pick them out. Yeah. On several different occasions in several different parts of the country. And then it became very clear that this is not just, and you talked about him being voted out, but he was voted out by a historic majority. Yes. Because he also had a historic uh, minority. Yeah. Right. And so, so while people are celebrating for me, what terrifies me is the fact that, you know, people are like, you know, Biden, you know, had like 81 million of the popular vote. And then it's like, yeah, but this guy had like 70 million of the popular vote. Well, like when I used to That take, for me is yeah. more terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I than used, the joy of the 81. Sure. I used to, when I used to take the subway in Toronto, every once in a while it would occur to me like people on this subway car, a crowded subway car, some of these people voted for Rob Ford. Some of these people voted yeah. for Doug Ford. Like it, the, the, yeah. it is wrong, I would think. You're, you're abs- I think where you're coming from, and I agree. Like you can't blame the leader that was elected no. into office for being, you know, some sort of rogue, you know, anomaly. People voted for him, as you say. Masses of people vote for these figures that we all, some of us anyway, really dislike. And yeah, and it's for some reason it takes. There, like, it, the frustrating thing for me, and I, I don't know if you feel this way, is like, what a lot of people are saying now is like, guys, we all saw this coming. We all said this stuff in 2015, like, you know, about in this case, yeah. about Trump. A lot of us could see what was going to happen. We didn't anticipate it being, you know, that 500,000 Americans would die. You know, people around the world would die. Uh, I think, right. you know, we, no one could have predicted that, but. But at the same time, we said it was going to be bad. So that's the frustration. Like some of this writing is clearly on the wall, but some people... And was even way before that. Yes. You know, and that's yeah. the thing. It's like, I think one of the things that it said, for me, the, the joy was that you couldn't sit on the fence anymore. And and unfortunately, the way the world works, especially in North America, is that there's a group of people who can't afford to sit on the fence. And those are the people who are marginalized for whatever reason, whether it be indigenous voices, black voices, brown voices, yeah. whatever it is, like you can't afford to sit on the fence. Right. Like no one will let you sit on the fence. I always tell people like, even on the days where you feel like, okay, today's going to be a good day. I can just walk to the grocery store and walk back to my home. And in that moment, there'll be something that will happen 
that will let me know that I'm different from everyone else. Yes. So as a black man living in North America, I can't afford to sit on the fence. But for a lot of white people, especially, they can afford to sit on the fence because a lot of the stuff that affects people doesn't affect them on a day-to-day basis. So for the longest time, they could afford to sit on the fence. They could afford to sort of play devil's advocate. And I've, I, over the last year, I've had all these conversations of people sort of with, you know, the chickens coming home to roost is a lot of people getting into my emails and getting on the phone and being like, you know what? I'm sorry that I didn't, we didn't have this conversation yeah. in a more serious form five years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, good for you that you're getting to this point, but you have to understand like for a lot of people, you can't afford to sit on the fence. Well, microaggressions are micro. Um, they're called microaggressions because they're subtle. Like I remember at the onset of the pandemic, uh, I would go to the Edmonton grocery stores with my mask on and I, not everyone was wearing masks at this point. And I remember uh, initially thinking that people were staring at me because I was wearing a mask. But then I started right. to look more closely at their eyes and think, wait a minute, this is a familiar look. Oh, right. I'm, all, I'm a brown person wearing a mask. Like I forgot. Right. Sometimes I have a thing. I've, I've talked about it many times, but I forget I'm different until someone else points it out. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like, do you have that? Do you like, oh yeah, that's right. I I always, I don't, I'm aware of it. Obviously I'm not blind, but I, I just don't think of my difference unless it's pointed out to me via a look. Sometimes often it's via an ignorant comment. Being an big, did you grow up in Canada? I did. I was, I was born here. Yeah. You grew up in, you, you, you were born in Uganda, right? I was born in Uganda. So for me as an immigrant, I, I had to learn that I had to learn the look. Yeah. Because and I've you know I've spoken about this before, maybe not so much publicly, but like I learned about racism moving to Canada because yeah. I thought that people would consider me different because I'm an immigrant, because of my nationality, because of my accent. And I only realized much, much later into my immigration or into my moving here that there are people who will look at you as different even before they know your background. Right. Yeah. Right. And that made me sad because I know there's plenty of black people that are born and raised in Canada, generations deep. And I felt bad for them mm. because for me, it was always like someone treated me differently when I was speaking to them. I didn't sort of like it didn't bother me because I'm like, yeah, I'm visiting. I'm from somewhere else. And I assume that this is how you would sort of react to someone who's from a different part of the world. Right. And maybe someone you don't you know particularly understand because. I think my accent has evolved over time, but I'm assuming at that point when I first arrived that it was a lot thicker. It was a lot of, you know, like, again, like you're just a different person. And so learning about the idea that just a skin color can define your relationship with a stranger was something very sort of jarring. And I learned, so the look that you talk about, I had to learn about that. And yeah. then the problem is once you learn about it, you can't unlearn it. You were you basing this distinction on any memories or experiences you had when you lived in Uganda and and encountered people who were were visiting or uh, you know maybe didn't look. No, it's basically like not so much of visiting, but like I mean, you I grew up in the city in in Kampala, yeah. and like if say a white person stopped you on the street to ask for directions, you treated them differently than you would a fellow Ugandan. You would, yeah. Right? right. You you would, and as, this is not like a negative or a positive. You just basically, you'd give them way more information than you would, you know, like you'd be like, you know, how 
how what do you need to get to the yeah, like sure. you, you there would be a bit of difference because you're like oh this person is visiting and depending on who you are you want to give them either the best experience or the worst experience depending on how you feel about them right. but you would definitely have a difference in 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 your relationship to them yeah right there's the, the, you're getting at the subtext of what you're talking about is courtesy whether you're going to be courteous yes. or not is based on your yes. own personality type and less to do with them being different or looking different. You, right. you understand. And right. So when you move, yeah. as, as, as an African, you move here, when, when someone, say again, if I ask for directions and someone is rude to me, I would be offended by the rudeness, but I wouldn't you know, overthink it in terms of um, thinking it's a systemic or societal thing. I would think <laughs> this person is rude yeah. because I'm African. Sorry, there's a bit. This, I, I chuckle because there's a bit on your album about this, where you know, if yes. a, if, a, if a white person does something wrong, you don't blame all of white society for their right. Males, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it conjures and that. So, yeah. 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 And then and then you learn quickly that oh, this could be a, a systemic thing. Yes. Yes. But you learn that later because again, like this is it's a learning process. If you're not used to it, you sort of like because none of the movies or television shows really talked about this in ways that you could sort of understand. Yeah. Not even the ways that they talk about it now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you on that level. And speaking of sort of interactions and sort of social decorum, I want to go back to uh, what you were talking about earlier about um, hateful speech uh, and cancel culture and uh, the now, I guess, d deposed leader that we were talking about, because one of the things that has struck me about what was going on over the last four years in America is that you had this hateful person who was couching a lot of their hate as comedy, um, suggesting that what he like locker room talk, that was a joke. Right. I was clearly being sarcastic. So basically kind of weaponizing uh, comedy you know, you don't know how it, it, to me it was like, oh, I'm, I'm a comedian. You know, you, you, you can't take a joke. When I say right. you know, I'm banning Muslims or what, like it was very twisted, what he did. Do you right. have a perspective on that that mindset as a comedian? That this guy, he was a wannabe comedian. Like those rallies were stand up sets, uh, ostensibly. People right. would say he was riffing, and I was like, no, he he thinks he's a comedian. And to be frank, every once in a while he got in some good lines. I will say, right. but right. was it worth it? So I, I, your perspective on that, like comedy is in. Comedy came under fire. When I think about people who were canceled, if you will, over the past four years, Michelle Wolf. Like, I mean, some of them, I'm not going to get into the Cosbys and the Louis C.K.s and whatever right. else, but like some people were kind of censored and blacklisted for jokes. Meanwhile, this right. guy was taking on, like, to me, his whole persona was, I'm joking. Like, this is trolling and joking and pranking people all the time. What is your take on that? What happened to comedy in the last four years? Do you have a take on that? I think. Um, I think I personally don't even think he's trying to be a comedian because I don't I mean, there is a narcissism there that is is really very with which comedians, I guess, are very comfortable with. Sure. So I guess and insecurity yeah. can relate to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think the the people you talk about, the the Michelle Wolfs and the Kathy Griffin, I think part of it is because it's easy to come for comedians because comedians in very many ways have no safety net you know there's the great uh roy wood jr 
yes. very funny comedian yes, who he's I'm very funny. familiar with. Yes, very funny. Said, said something really profound that, as you know, as most really good comedians do, he said comedy is the only thing is the only art form that is made in front of the consumer. Yes, everything else is sort of done beforehand and you know brought brought to the. Perfected. The, yeah, it's produced. It's perfected. perfected before. It's, yeah. But comedy is only perfect in front of the consumer. And I feel like because of that, because of the idea that everyone has a window into your process, it's easy to come for comedians because here's the thing. I don't ever want to give a comedian a pass for telling a horrible joke. Right. But for me, I've been in enough comedy clubs, you know, on lineups with seven, eight people. And three of those eight were horrendous comedians, both talent-wise and content-wise. Right. Right? And I was offended by their presence in that room, but I would never want them to leave that stage because I'm like, hey, someone could argue the same for me as well. Sure. Maybe they think I'm talentless and my content is horrendous. And so for me, I've never thought of it as, as we should get rid of this person. I personally want to. But I would never advocate for it on a much larger scale. But people can do it because comedians are, are, are an, an easy target to sort of like justice Because mm. one, not just Trump, everyone thinks they can do comedy. Every single person. Yeah. You know, like this is why comedians, we always hear, you know, oh, man, if I had done so, I think I should get up. I, sh- I, th- I should, you know, this person at work should get up on stage. My brother is one of the funniest people I know. He should get up on stage. My dad makes me laugh all the time. He should get up on stage. Like, no one truly respects the art form because everyone thinks that they can do it secretly and not so secretly. They're like, nah, I can do this as well. So when you sort of have a misstep, it's easy for the mob to come for you because they're like, this is an easy thing to do. Why can't you get it right? So when you say like what happened to comedy, I don't think comedy changed. I think audiences have been empowered enough to be like, we can just sort of tune someone out. Mm. But for me, I find it very hypocritical because they don't do the same to people who actually affect their lives, like policymakers, right? Sure, yeah. like, Like, you know, just give you an example of the Texas senator. Ted Cruz, who said, like, you know, the Paris Agreement means that, you know, Biden cares more about the citizens of Paris than the citizens of Pittsburgh. That's a joke. Like, that's a great joke if it's coming from a comedian. But if it's coming from a politician, that's terrifying. Yeah. Because either you're too stupid to understand what's going on or you're intentionally misleading people because you know that your followers or your constituents are too dumb to realize what the difference is. Yeah, and in that and pati- so, in that particular case, Senator Cruz is echoing what yeah. what the president said at the time that he pulled out of that agreement. So, invoking exactly. invoking the same city, going after the same followers who re- will right. remember that soundbite. It's repeating the joke, if you will, retelling the joke. So, so if you if you're a comedian and you tell because on stage and I, and and I shouldn't say it's a great joke because if you said it on stage people would boo you well it's, it's because it's such a hack yes, line right sure, sure and so but if you said it on stage as a comedian you would get cancelled so to speak right people would like you know this person is terrible that's the worst joke I've ever heard blah 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 mm. but when a politician does it there's no apart from ridiculing them for not knowing the difference 
there's no actual repercussions. Right. They get to keep a powerful seat. They get to keep making policy. Right. Right. So when people get mad at comedians, for me, it's always a case of like you're pretending. You wanted, you can't, you feel helpless and you feel more comfortable attacking the, the jester than actually looking into the issue behind that joke. Yeah. You know, when you say that everyone thinks they can be a comedian, I mean, I, I remember uh, the, uh, the rapper Buck65 had a tweet that sticks with me. It was probably 10 years old now. But his tweet was something like, I, I never thought I'd live to see the day where everyone thought they were a comedian and a photographer, but here we are. You know, talking right. about social media, like social media at the time when it came on, that's what everyone. But, but at the same time, I feel like that's happened. Like as you and I are speaking right now, we are at the tail end of this uh, Bernie Sanders mittens meme. And right. what I've noticed with these sorts of trends and memes is that for about a day, uh, I'm I like everyone else is enjoying this meme and whatever is happening. Of course. But then. What I find is within about a 36 hours, I start to see in my feed comedians, comedians I respect, uh, kind of making fun of the meme or sort of downplaying the meme. And I find I've had right. conversations with comedians recently who feel very protective of their form. You know, it's sort of in line with what you're describing. Like, good Lord, you know, like, uh, oh, the other one these days is Sarah Cooper. Do you know Sarah Cooper? The Right. I do. Yeah. So Sarah Cooper, people, uh, comedians in particular, jumped on it. You know, a lot of us were like, ha, this is very funny. Like, she's really skewering him with this lip syncing thing that she does with right. the acting. But comedians were like, good, good Lord. This person got a Netflix special for this, you know? I know it's competitive. I know there's insecurity, but I often, I see it every time. I, I wait. I wait. <laughs> we're all enjoying a thing. Right. In about 36 hours, comedians are going to jump on it. Do you have a take on that? Right. What's going on there? Why why does that occur? Is it is it envy? I mean, you, it... you 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 pretty much nailed it. It's the insecurity. It's yeah. the I, there's there's a lot of hubris that comes with being a comedian. I mean, I I should admit to it because I feel like I'm a little self aware of it. There's a hubris that comes with, especially with stand up, that that comes with sort of like this is the purest form of of the art form. Yeah. And so when you see someone using props or when you see someone lip syncing, a part of you feels like I am better than this, but we're not really. Mm. And so for me personally, I enjoyed Sarah Cooper's videos, the ones that came across my timeline. I enjoyed them and I watched them. And then when people talk about stuff like Netflix specials, that's stuff that it really is a popularity contest. Yeah. Yeah which is what all of entertainment is. So when people get mad at it, I laugh because I'm like, no, they the the market is reacting to demand. Right. So if the demand for those videos is high, which it was, she was getting on all the late night shows and yeah. in a lot of publicity for them, then someone out there is going to be like, how do we monetize this? And I would never in a million years uh, blame Sarah for picking up that gig because that's what we're all in this business for to try and make a living. So yeah. if you can make a good living and the, the the truth of the matter is the Netflix special is going to also, it, it will be a determinant because at the end of the day, you have 
to produce results. Yeah. So yes, people might get mad at you for getting a Netflix special while you're lip syncing, but guess what? You're going to have to put in the work to get to season two <laughs> yeah. or to get the yeah. second Netflix special, right? Like yeah. the first one is might be considered a gimme, but if it's terrible, you're done, right? Like no one comes back around. Right. Because that's sort of the tough niche of the business. Right. You know, the market will decide if your Netflix special is terrible. And if it's great, then wonderful. You used this sort of particular skill set, which was your lip syncing to Trump speeches. And you managed to build it into a, a bigger platform to sort of showcase the rest of either your writing or um, acting skills. And yeah. for me, I have no fault. Like for me, it's like, and I get what you're saying, like comedians will jump on it. But yeah, a lot of it is because a lot of those people are sitting at home being like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of something that was catchy and viral that would take me to the next place? Because guess what? 95% of the people who will jump on it and complain about that would switch places with her in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think like what, if you if yeah. you did like a time travel where you we did the men in black and you sort of like blanked people's brains so they would forget. <laughs> yeah. Ninety five percent of those people would go back in time and do lip syncing videos yeah. to get that Netflix special. It's like that Beatles movie with that kid that, that no one yeah. knows who the Beatles are. Yesterday I think it's called. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with you. There's I think we're 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 swimming up against this notion of egalitarianism versus talent or something. Like when you're yeah. talking about stand up and people thinking it's easy because it's just a person going up. Like all you see as an audience member, maybe an unseasoned audience member, is a human being getting on stage and talking. The same way I think right. in the 50s and 60s, folk music. Oh, it's just a person who figured out three chords on a guitar. And, right. But what, you, what happens is that evolves and the talent that is at, that if people have talent, then they do something extra special with those simple tools. But there's sort of, and that's what social media kind of does too. Like anyone can join it. Anyone can make yeah. an account, but to kind of... Anyone can, anyone can tweet. And that's the thing. So if you have like six funny tweets in a year, you might get, you know, 10,000 followers from those six yeah. extremely viral tweets, right? Yeah. That doesn't make you a comedian. I mean, it, it would if you sort of monetized it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're going to be able to go up on stage and do 40 minutes. Yeah. And for me, I'm never going to hate you for your six viral tweets. But at the same time, I'll never assume, because a lot of people will assume like, oh, you had six viral tweets. You should be on stage. It's like, it doesn't translate like that. Right. Oh, you had six viral tweets. We should give you a sitcom. It's like, no, that that's not how it works. Mm. Right. But it's like, you can't. It might work. It might be that this person with six varieties is actually a prolific writer and they might actually write themselves into a very funny book or TV show or movie. But then there's also putting in the work throughout the years, the Mindy Kalings of this world and the Tina Fey's of this world and the Issa Rae's of this world. Yeah. Who have put in the work throughout their lives, yeah. creating content, perfecting sort of their art form and then sort of playing it into TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And so it's like, there's a balance. There's always a balance. And for me, at the end of the day, I say like the, the reason why I say like you have to deliver is because people who create stuff, you can't hide. I mean, the, the only people who are sort of like immune from this are like the executives, the people who get to make this decision. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Because they never have to create anything. But for the creators, it's always about what's 
the 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 product you're going to put in front of people right so how you go to that platform some people might be mad at you about it but for me it's, at the end of the day it's like what are you going to do with it hmm. you know you're you're clearly a, a thoughtful fellow i mean i know this from your comedy i know this from this conversation and when we began uh we had invoked or you had invoked this notion of introspection during this time of uh Right, stasis or stillness, whatever you want to call it. I guess I want to go back to that. I, I wonder because that's a big thing for so many of us enduring this. You know, hopefully, if you're lucky, you've had the time to think about the way we used to live, the way you used to live, the way we could li- we could be living. You know, um, have you had a chance to think about yourself and and you know uh, reflect upon? the good stuff, the bad stuff, and maybe when, the, when we get to the other end of whatever this is, what you'd, want right. to, what you'd want to do differently yourself and maybe what we as a society, as a culture, could be doing differently? Have you thought about that? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of things we could be doing differently as a, as a society because one thing we've learned in this moment is how capitalism has sort of entrenched itself in our lives to a point whereby we're just doing, like, our lives are just dollar signs now, which is mm. kind of sad as a society that we're doing this to ourselves. And I, I, I don't know what the solution is, but it's very interesting because it's like, you know, a lot of people talked about how, you know, like loss of work and loss of income and stuff like that. But like the shipping companies have gone through the roof. Well, you're, you're making, you know, like their yeah, profits. Absolutely. And you make a good point because every time I've asked anyone this question or talked about how things are going, I ultimately land on work. You know, yeah. like, oh, I have work or I don't have work or I've never been busier or I don't have enough to do. People are talking about their labor as a, as a way yes. of answering this question, which tells yeah. you <laughs> how, how that's really problematic, that that's how we measure measure our days and measure our worth or measure, measure our condition. Like our material conditions, that's how we talk about ourselves. It's that that's or that's, that that's or the weather. That yeah, that's, it's either that yeah. or the weather. And, and so, and so <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's been a case of, you know, learning that, I, I think I, I used work for the longest time also to sort of like I didn't really pay attention to the 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 to my own life in a way that I I, I have this past you know ten months or, 12, or eleven months or however long we've been hmm. in quarantine I think a lot of the times I just sort of was on autopilot you know you're booking stuff you're going from one gig to another and you're not really enriching yourself from any of these experiences yeah and i think one of the things that i've i've sort of made a deal with myself is like moving forward regardless of how the society uh, deals with this pandemic and how we come out of it if we ever get back to live performance i'm going to be more um, i want to pay more attention to every show that i do because i feel like i took a lot for granted yeah but also the life around me because i mean as you would remember in the middle of the the summer this awakening was happening after george floyd was murdered in the states that the world was sort of having conversations about race and racism and discrimination but none of it was new to me in terms of the way the world works well, yeah but i yeah. i learned so much about the people around me my friends, my colleagues, acquaintances, I learned so much about their own sort of like the bubbles some of them had been in. 
because I'm like, how have you not paid attention to any of this? Because yeah. for me, I assumed, again, because I don't, we don't have these conversations often enough, mm-hmm. that everyone was on the same page. And so I made a conscious effort to be like, okay, I'm never going to minimize my experiences anymore. Because I think part of the, the, the conversations we need to have is to sort of learn from people who are not only just different from us, but also who have completely different experiences yeah. than we do, yeah. right? Because yeah. I remember, and personally, I related it to the Me Too movement. And when everyone was talking about it, uh, because it started out again in Hollywood and spread across the world and people were talking about it. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who I, uh, I, I guess I was guest hosting on her radio show. Mm-hmm. And I said, the reckoning that was happening with Harvey Weinstein, with Bill Cosby, I was like, this is great for the entertainment industry, but I wonder what it would do for the other industries. Right. Right, like insurance yeah. and agriculture and education and all these other places that mistreatment of women in the workplace is is is, is happening as well. Yeah. But even as I said it, I didn't know the scope of it. I didn't fully understand the scope of it until in my group of friends and acquaintances and colleagues, I, I learned about the scope of it. Because every woman that I know in any professional setting had a story to tell. Right. And I didn't know that. I honestly did not know that. And yeah. it was like one of those moments where I went, oh, I would never have known this if this conversation were not happening, because I don't think I've ever in any sort of setting asked any of my girlfriends or colleagues or, you know, female colleagues or anything like, hey, have you been harassed at work? Like I've never, it's not a conversation you start to have, but then it's a conversation we should be having. Absolutely. And we should yeah. be providing that platform for people to be able to be like, hey, I'll, something at work is happening that I'm not comfortable with. And so in the same way, I, was, I realized that my own experiences with being discriminated against racially, I've, I've sort of toned them down either when I'm retelling the experience or just completely not brought it up for fear of being that guy. And I made a consciousness to be like, no, 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 from this moment on, both in the moment when it's happening, I'm going to say something, but also try and broadcast this to as many people involved as I can yeah, so that it doesn't happen again. So this, this mindset has been born, I think you're saying that this mindset or this perspective has been brought on by this pandemic. And I think that's what you, where you're coming from. And I, I, I do think that when you talk about, uh, you know, when the George Floyd uh, uh, incident occurred and uh, Black Lives Matter conversations were at the fore. You were learning more about your friends and we were learning more about what people generally thought about such situations, which a lot of it was like obliviousness. I didn't know. Oh, I really didn't know. And re- meanwhile, a lot of us were like, what are you talking about? There's an incident like this in Canada, in the U.S., Every yes. day, every single day, we hear if you pay attention, right? right? So, what I, uh, where, where I'm coming from, and I think where you're coming from is in terms of aligning this with the pandemic, is we had time on our hands to pay attention. And yes. a lot of us there don't. There were no distractions. That's there right. There was no NHL hockey. There was no, right. you know, uh, parade. There was no festival. There was no. You had to sit at home and, 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 and sort of stew and marinate in this information. So that to me is the gift of all of this is that we got time. 
we got time to ourselves and to to pay attention to things that we wouldn't have had time to to pay attention to before um or or just could intentionally avoid because that's the thing that's the conversation that's true too yes that yeah that people want to avoid and and again especially when it comes to white supremacy the 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 conversations are white white supremacy are very interesting because a lot of white people get defensive about them mm-hmm. when you bring them up because they think you're trying to dehumanize them right right and it's like no 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 actually the dehumanizing is coming from your end mm-hmm. and 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 that's the issue Right, because a lot of white people want to be allies, but I'm like, you can't be an ally if you don't actually believe that this is a problem. Right. Okay. Right. Like until you actually believe, until white people specifically treat white supremacy like they do rape and pedophilia and murder. Yeah. We are not going to have this conversation. Yeah. Right. Because it's like you look at, for example, like the Trump administration, right? Big, big supporters of white supremacy. Yeah. They put yeah. it out front. They they didn't hide it. They didn't do anything. People within that administration that sort of enabled it. I look at like a, a Sean Spicer, one of the first few, you know, press secretaries of the nine that he had in <laughs> four years. Yeah, yeah. Bananas in itself. He gets off. You know, he's like, I'm done with this. He's broken. Whatever. Like, he wants to resign. And then two weeks later, he's on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, he was platformed. He was re-platformed. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, that's telling me that you didn't take this as seriously as you pretend to be. Even mm-hmm. the ones who consider themselves allies, people yeah. like Jimmy Kimmel, who would sit there and cry about how terrible Trump is, and then have him on his, you know, talk show to have some chit chat. I don't. Did, and did some light Kimmel, ribbing. Did Kimmel have Trump on? No, he had Sean Spicer on. Oh, he had Spicer on. Yes, that's right. right. And, he, and he played and so, that basketball and, game against Ted right. Cruz, which really bothered me. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like, it's it's those things where you're like, one side is fully committed to dehumanizing people because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And so for me, you can't tell me that I have to sit down with that person and have a conversation with them. Because guess what? If someone is anti-immigration, for example, but not in a racial way. They're saying, no, 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 we are going to be anti-immigration to everyone, whether you're coming from England or Italy or Zimbabwe or Japan or Brazil, then I can sit down with that person and we can have a conversation. What are you trying to have a conversation about? But if one person is like, no, 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 black or brown people are just beneath me, then I can sit down with you and have a conversation. Because the starting point is you being committed to my dehumanization. So why should I be a part of your humanization? Yeah. And so once we have, I think one of the things that frustrates me is that we continue to have this conversation where people are like, you know, support black businesses and support black artists. And I'm like, this isn't a fad. This shouldn't be like overalls. Like they're in for, you know, a few months and then we go back to normal. Yeah. It's like, no, it should be this the whole way. And if it's not, if you're not going to, you know, because I remember having a conversation about uh, racist when I would go out on the road and and I would come back, like I told you, I would come back to the city and I would talk to some of my friends and they would be like, you know, that's the country bumpkin. You know, like it's just that one country bumpkin. Right. And, And all these racist people that keep coming up, no one seems to be related to them. Right. And I'm always like, who's so whose whose uncle is this? Whose aunt is this? Hmm. 
because these are people that live in your societies and in your until you're honest about it and stop sort of giving them a pass because the other thing that i hear is like oh it's just a certain generation yeah what yeah no i don't have time for that do you yeah. understand like i don't yeah. i don't have the time to wait for a certain generation to die out for me to be considered a human being yeah so until we have those conversations and that's part where i'm like the the the, the the pandemic was great in terms of remarinating that, but it also gave me time to be like, no, no, we're going to have honest conversations and we're going to have them in a way that is constructive for everyone. We're going to stop hiding behind people's feelings where it's like, you know, I can't say that because it's my uncle, it's my stepdad, it's my mom, and, and I can't have their feelings. No, no, no. They're being horrible human beings if they're being white supremacists. Yeah. It's, I mean, you've had a lot of, it sounds like, but based on what you're saying, you've had a lot of time and and a lot of things to, to ruminate on. You, you have been writing for some other outlets. Have you had an opportunity to write comedy for yourself, for stand-up? I know it seems like when or how is that even going to come back? Hmm. So I can see why so, the motivation might not be there. But have you had a chance to write jokes? I, I have. So here's the thing. So in the summer, people started doing outdoor shows. And I was like, I got to get out. I got to get out and do stuff. Yeah. And I remember being like, we're all going to be talking about the pandemic, aren't we? And it's like, it was <laughs> out, and I was right, because we went to shows. Yeah. And it was all pandemic related stuff. But it was like, it was, it's great. Because the thing about comedy is that even though you're all sort of in the same situation, you all come out with very different perspectives on things. So I did write some stand-up. I have been writing some stand-up. It's all pandemic-related because that's sort of what has been happening and I've been in quarantine. And so a lot of it has been about the idea of staying home. I've written some very terrible jokes about streaming services because <laughs> I have all of them. You know. Yeah, me too. Like, I, I suddenly, I've, know, I've acquired all of them. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to, I was going to and then slowly by slowly one day I woke up and I was like, "Oh yeah, I am I am I am knee deep in streaming services." And, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, and so I wrote, I'll up the ante. I also have I still I'm the last person. I have TV cable. I have cable and the streaming services. It's too much stuff. Now you're just bragging. I am. At this point. I am now bragging. Now you just Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Who, who, yeah, I'm, I, <laughs> Rockefeller is this one? Um, <laughs> well, you have I, normally uh, here's here's how I here's my justification, Arthur. Normally, I need it for the NBA playoffs, I've decided. Like, I just want to be able to watch whatever game. And then U.S. politics was like the NBA playoffs. Like, I kind of wanted to be able to switch from MSNBC to CNN to sometimes CBC News. And get the full dose. Yeah. Because here's the thing, too. Once, once, Once a streaming service comes in with live sports cable is done. I think that's the only thing they're holding on to. Yes. Because all the other stuff has moved, though the the food networks of this world and yeah hgtv which is a very popular channel as well but yeah so sorry I've to distract you with my stuff. with my consumption habits. no 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 no, no. <laughs> but but it's true so yeah i've managed to write some stuff i don't know how any of it is any good yeah uh i did a few zoom shows here and there people seem to like the stuff but again you don't get the exact reaction because like you know this medium is very different from standing in front of people on yeah. stage yeah but yeah i wrote some stuff and so I'm just sort of like going through this, this, this sort of like, cause some of it is like also a bit dated now. Cause I'm like, Oh, I wrote this in the third month of quarantine Yes. and we're now, you know, 10 months into quarantine. So maybe that doesn't quite board as well. Um, yeah. I remember you asked me 
if there's something I, I, I will not miss. And I will tell you this, as much as I love interacting with people, I will not miss handshakes. <laughs> I will tell you that right now. Handshakes are done. Oh, and they, I'm so happy. I'm happy too. I find you know? them awkward. Pe- and Yeah, yeah. Because it's not even about the awkwardness. Because here's the thing. When you do a show, people come up to you after. You're going to have, you know, a few, you know, tens of people shaking your hand who want to sure. say, you know, either thank you for a good job or I enjoyed it, which is very... You know, I'm grateful for it and I'm happy that I have nights where people can connect with me to a point where they feel the need to come and shake my hand and say thank you. But not all those handshakes are the same. Right. Okay? Sure. And in this in this era of, of contagion, I'm just so happy that that is done because <laughs> there will be times where you would shake someone's hand and you'd be like, why is your hand wet? Weren't we doing you know? weren't like, we why? doing it? But I thought we were already pre-pandemic. There was the pound. There was some sort of... You know, fist bumps. I thought we were kind of. I was already doing it. I'm. I've. I've discovered I'm vaguely a germaphobe, and I didn't realize it. I'm. I know I'm a hypochondriac. Yeah. I've. I've been carrying um, hand sanitizer for years. Oh, okay. But I was hiding it because I felt like society wouldn't accept me (laughs) if they knew that every after a show, because I would shake people's hands and then I would go into a corner very quietly and put hand sanitizer. But that's smart. And so <laughs> that's a smart thing I, that you did. But here's the thing. I was ashamed of myself until 10 months ago when I realized <laughs> I was doing the right thing this whole time. You were ahead of your time. And I don't get any credit for it because I've been hiding it for years. And only people who were close enough to me to actually see me, you know, either put it in my pocket right after or, you know, like it's just it's just one of those things. I've always had it in either like in my jacket or something, I've always had hand sanitizer. Because right. I was like, again, like you would shake someone's hand and you'd be like, that was a little too sticky for my life. <laughs> and I don't have, and again, you're talking about like fist bumps. Yes. I was never consistent with being like, I'm not going to shake your hand. Cause sometimes it's just too late. You're just like, for the sake of politeness, you're like, I'm just going to go through with this. I had a thing where I'd say, now, Oh, I have a cold. I, I just, yeah, yeah. you don't want to, uh, let's just do this. And I would do the arm thing. Yeah. I would lie. And so now we don't, you see, now you've been saved from any of that. You don't have to do any of that. Okay. So the idea that I don't have to shake anyone's hand for the next 25 years is great. That just gives me so much joy. Well, congratulations, Arthur. Uh, I think uh, you should be a proud pioneer. Let it, let it out. Let the world know. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll all know uh, maybe by your next uh, stand up special, which I hope. Uh, is coming coming soon. Uh, hopefully, it, yeah. Hopefully, I'm definitely trying to be one of the first ones out of the gate. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I want to get out early. Yeah. Uh, as soon as we can get to an audience, because it's also been an exciting time of discovery, either self discovery, like we've talked about, yes. societal discovery. Yes. Like the idea that as a giant black man, for example, that when I walk into a bank, they insist that I wear a mask. <laughs> Do you understand? Like, if you had told me that at some point in my life in Canada, a security guard would be like, could you please, for the love of God, put on a goddamn mask before you walk into this bank? I would have been like, what are you you trying to, you're setting me up. Entrapment, yeah. Yeah, you're setting me up. But I can walk into a bank without a mask and I'll be arrested. 
yes. for not having a mask. Yes, it's the opposite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Our world is great. It, it is good. It will be good. I, I'm fairly certain of it. Uh, if people want to learn more about you, Arthur, uh, where would you like to send them using the tools we have at our disposal in terms of computers and um, phones? Arthur Simeon, that's Arthur, A-R-T-H-U-R-S-I-M-E-O-N on Instagram, on Twitter. My website is arthursimeon.com. Uh, um, I also have a Facebook page that I'm starting to sort of learn how to deal with that content and put stuff out there. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all the online platforms you can find me on. And the new album, or the latest album, The Blackest Panther, was out on Comedy Records, yes? Yes, Comedy Records produced it. It's on iTunes, and uh, it's also, I think it's, I believe it's on Amazon now as well. Yeah. And for those of you who feel cheap, you can stream it on Spotify. <laughs> I, uh, I have it on... Please download it so I can... I can pay my drug dealer. Just so I'm be, sorry, my, my bills. <laughs> that's the bills, drug dealer. That's part of the bills. You yeah. can just say the bills and yeah. we all understand. Uh, just, so pe- just so people recognize uh, or are rather are aware of it, I, I happen, not just for me, I happen to have this uh, album on vinyl. It is available on vinyl as well. It I'm is available on vinyl as well, yes. Yeah, that's right. So people can actually, and it's hilarious. So, yeah. yeah, it is so, if, so funny. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. So yeah, if you're an old school uh vinyl collector or if you just have a record player please let me know yeah i'll I'll get you vinyl yes in fact if anyone is listening to this and they they want a vinyl record artsimian at gmail.com oh i'm gonna give you my email address wow email me and i'll send you a vinyl record you sound like someone who's have to Get rid of you just some have vinyl. To drop fish's name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. please, please email Arthur. Uh, just so we can give people a taste of the Blackest Panther, uh, I wondered if we could actually go out on a bit, or perhaps a couple of bits. I don't want to get greedy here, but Arthur, if we could play something for people, what would you? Uh, what would you suggest? Oh. oh. Oh, I did not know this was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> you don't remember I, the names of the bits? Is that part of the problem? I don't even, yeah. That's, that's I think, that, the biggest problem right now. It's also trying to figure out, is this, is should it be language appropriate? Oh, it doesn't matter, or yeah. A, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Don't worry about is that. Is there a worry that, um, okay. Um, do you want me to? off the black? Do you want me to look it up for you? Yeah, you know what? Which which one? Which one? No, do you have any recommendations? Well, I I'm a big fan of the whole thing. I like. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that would be appropriate to this conversation, and I feel like perhaps companion peacock. I feel like this conversation was a bit more serious than I thought it was going to be. Was that so... my fault? Do you feel like we got too? No, heavy? no, no. It's definitely mine. I, okay. I think I, I felt like I was in a. I didn't want to be too jokey about some of the stuff that's going on. But, I mean, I do enjoy the silly side of all of the things that we're talking about. I feel like I have a tendency to make... I have a lot of musicians on my show, and I feel like they come across funny. But I have learned through experience... This goes back to what we were talking about, comedians being protective of their craft. I have found that if I, as an interviewer, try to engage a comedian in sort of playful banter, they get a bit defensive like i can hear it like they oh this guy thinks he's funny now everyone thinks they're so <laughs> funny and they want me to be they every, so i i approach comedians with a bit more earnestness than i do a musician is that that says right. something more about me but it's from years of experience i'm like oh 
my my no, I can see that yeah I, I definitely understand where you're coming yeah, from because so, yeah it would it would feel it's like doing morning radio it's uh yes it's like one of those things when you show up to do morning radio and everyone's like so perky and everyone's like oh my goodness it's an amazing morning and you're like i just woke up like i can't well and i will also say i can't be at that wavelength to your points um, to the points you made earlier i respect comedians more than i respect almost any other artist because to the points we've raised it's a person, it's their mind, it's their piece of paper and a pencil or a typewriter or whatever they use to get their ideas across and down. That is magical to me. When it's done well, that is the high... There's no acting. You know, I mean, there's performance, right. but it's not like an actor learning someone else's lines. It's not like a song, a singer learning, you know, saying someone else's lyrics. This is this is pretty a magical craft. So I take it seriously. I'm getting up. I'm on a a high horse right now. I'm ranting a little bit. (laughs) I didn't intend for this to happen, but I just want you to know that I I like you, Arthur. I think you're very funny. And and to add some levity to this very serious conversation, we should go out on some comedy. And so, I don't know. I like Three Sisters. I like... like, I'm just trying to think of... Three Sisters. Three Sisters is good. Companion Peacock would be appropriate. Companion Peacock would be great if you want to talk about privilege. Three Sisters is a is a fun story because it's obviously from my life or black James Bond. Cause we're going to have, there's going to be some something related James Bond yes. uh, content. soon. so any of those three would work for this situation. Well, as we're speaking, I believe the uh, forthcoming James Bond film has been delayed again uh, because of the pandemic. And I don't know if they're shooting more scenes or what's going on. It seems like a big mystery, but why don't we go out on that? We'll go out on. Sure. Let's go out on Black James Bond. This is from the beautiful and funny album. It's not beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm going to say it's beautiful. I've never said a comedy the, record was the beautiful. Artwork was amazing. It is beautiful artwork. Yes, the black and it looks yeah. great on vinyl. If I might say, if you have the full size version of the Blackest Panther, you should get it. This is a uh, Black James Bond by Arthur Simeon. Arthur, this was so wonderful to have you on the show, and and I appreciate your time and your talent. Thank you for this, and best of luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. No, but here's the thing. I would like to live in a world where we're all equal. I'll speak up on these issues because I get to have a microphone. I get to meet people and and have a platform, and that's cool. But here's the thing. I'll fight for equality, but I won't fight for similarity. And sometimes when you're marginalized, we confuse the two things as being the same, and they're not the same. I would like to live in a world where everyone, regardless of the color of your skin, had opportunities in healthcare and education and, and in the workplace. But here's the thing. I won't fight for similarity. And I'll give you an example. There's been a campaign on social media for the next James Bond to be played by a black actor. They want the next James Bond to be a black actor to show like diversity and progress in the world and everyone is so excited because Idris Elba was in the uh, in the forefront. Uh, you know, big, beautiful black man, kind of like myself. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the joke, but thank you. Um, <laughs> was in the running to be the next James Bond and people were like, oh, he would make an amazing James Bond and yeah, big black guy. I'm like, no, 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 no. That is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Here's the thing, James Bond cannot be played by a black actor, okay? It would be the shortest Bond movie in the history. <laughs> and not because black people die first, you racist human being. <laughs> I will explain something everyone is seem to forget. James Bond is a super spy, but a super spy who operates in the real world. And in the real world, any room you walk into as a giant black man, you're immediately the most suspicious person in that room. <laughs> You can't be a spy if your cover can't even last for more than 10 seconds, okay? <laughs> you walk into any room and say, who is, who is the big guy? 
even a room full of black people, a giant black guy walks around, who the fuck is a big nigga that just walked in? <laughs> We don't even have good disguises. White people can put fake blonde hair and green contacts, different person entirely. You see a giant black guy with uh, contacts and blonde hair, that's the spy. Shoot him in the face, don't hit him. <laughs> no, I want my spies to remain white people because you're accepted everywhere. You're like MasterCard. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, thank you very much for uh, listening all the way to the end of uh, this episode. And thanks again to Arthur Simeon for appearing on this, the 596th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you've heard about and you're looking for it and you don't know where it could be, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation keep this podcast going six dollars or more grants you access to exclusive audio and video content and if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt please send me a message on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies and supplies of different sizes last thanks again to live at masseyhall.com where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great canadian artists and also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph. Fine, fine establishments in Guelph, Ontario, where I used to live. And Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, where I never lived, but I pondered living there. Was, there was a time where Hamilton was like, yeah, that might be all right. But we didn't do it. We stayed in Guelph. We were Guelph people. Even in Edmonton, I feel like a Guelph person. You know what I mean? Anyway, I want to thank all of those people for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks to... Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, music of his on the show and you can learn more about Jim and his work he seems busier than ever and he's doing all sorts of stuff he's on TikTok and he's harmonizing with people he's doing with all the TikTok things he's really up on Jim's just like he's like old but he's like really into like being not old and like keeping track of stuff and you'll see what I mean 
when you go to jimguthrie.org. He's not that old. He's just a little bit older than me. And I'm not old. I'm young. Super, super young. Finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode and subscribing to this podcast, Creative Control. Maybe asking your friends to listen to it and decide if they might want to subscribe to the podcast. That's always a good way to get people to keep keep up with the show is if they subscribe to it. Even when they subscribe to it, they're like, oh, I don't even like this, but it's still coming in. Ugh, I guess I should listen to it. It's on my thing. And then they listen to it. And they're like, yeah, it wasn't. I like it. I'm glad I subscribed. Anyway, that would be awesome. Tell your friends to subscribe to Creative Control and spread the word about the show. That's it. That's all I can ask. Even that might, that seems like too much. You listen this far. That's good. But still, a little bit more effort on your part would really help me. I'm going to say nothing else except for bye for now. Thank you very much. You're great. Bye for now. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.